Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Skullcast, the premier podcast about Berserk from the community at Skulldine.net. I am your eternal host, Walter, and joining me today for episode 145 are uh, Zeal. Hello. Grail. Hello. And Gobola Tula. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, let's see here. We got three quick items of news before we get into the main event, which is wrapping up volume 31 of Berserk on our reread. Uh, very quick news. There's barely anything, guys. So first is some exhibition news. Azalea posted about it, I think it was yesterday or two days ago. Uh, and it only really is relevant for anybody living in Japan. But somewhat notable that they are able to, you are able to order some items from the exhibition stuff uh, off uh, an online order form Ooh. for local pickup only. Shoot. No international orders. No international shipping, rather. Yeah. So... Uh, I think we'd mentioned this. I can't remember if we did or not, so I may as well mention it again. Um, they're doing like a mall, uh, smaller version of the exhibition. Yeah, it's a uh, pop-up store, basically. It's only... Exactly. Yeah, it's a temporary store where they, they're only selling uh, goods that were at the exhibition, but there's no actual, um, you know, artwork being exhibited. I think they've got a few, a few statues displayed, but it's really just a small store where you can buy some stuff. Hmm. Merch only. That's kind of a bummer. It's not really quite the experience. That yeah. was like the that was the afterthought. Do they have any, the they have the any new stuff? I forget. No, I mean, you mean as far as the goods they're selling? Yeah. I think they've got um, they've got a new ring. Hmm. Ring. Ooh la la. Yeah, yeah, a nice one too. A Skull Knight ring, you know, from uh, the titular episode with a parrot. Uh, skull and that kind of thing, and oh, uh, yeah, and they might have a few other things, but yeah, mostly it's just uh, the, the mainstay stuff, which is the artwork reproduction, the catalog, some other stuff like that. Do they do they have any ringtones? <laughs> uh, ringtones, wow, are we back in the 90s? <laughs> They oh, might. Man. They might. My flip phone it needs some I new ringtones. I need ring Crazy tones. Frog singing. Uh, <laughs> forces. Yeah. 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 Forces in uh, oh, in shitty MIDI form. I mean, they've got they've got some s- smartphone, um, you know, protection stuff. Forces uh, is always already kind of MIDI. It's the whole Susumu Hirasawa. Yeah, I'm sure he put that through a MIDI. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they have the you have a music box. This is a stupid tangent, but they didn't have a music box at one point. I I, I, he had a lot of crazy gadgets. That oh, guy. There is, no, I'm, there, I mean, there is a, a, oh, no. oh, a literal music box. That's still, yeah. Okay. There is a Berserk music box. Yeah, that yeah. came out a long time ago. Uh, Muvik made it. Hmm. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's nice. It's fine. It looks okay. it looks better than it sounds. Hmm. Well, yeah, I, don't, I can't remember if we talked about the pop-up shop thing or not, but that's the latest info on the exhibition, which is admittedly not much. Yeah. And whenever I saw you post that, Azil, I was like, oh, they're finally doing the thing where they'd hinted at, oh, yeah, guys, don't worry. Certain items will be available for online purchase. Don't worry about it. And so it's like in the back of your head, you're like, oh, okay, cool. International fans are covered. And then they do this. And I'm like, is this it? No, <laughs> this is not it. Yeah, I mean, this is just a tease. I wouldn't, you know, in any case, I wouldn't even assume 
like they care about international fans. Like even when they made that original announcement, I don't think they had international fans in mind. I mean, I don't remember exactly what they said, but, you know, you got to think the way they think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yeah, this one is basically, it's like the the mall, the pop-up store is at, that's got this kind of system uh, where you can have, you know, online stores. And so it's through that mall that it's done. The way this works is, and we had the same experience when we went to Hokkaido, it's it's being partnered, like they're partnering with a local, you know, company that handles the thing. And so technically it's not like Hakusensha itself is hosting the exhibition. They're more like lending right. it to that local company as part of a partnership in the same way that the, like all the items provided are provided by partners, like the rings, they are being done like by craftsmen. Uh, that's probably paying a fee to license the stuff. So it's all, it's all kind of a weird, I mean, weird. It's a way they do this, right? But it's kind of these strange partner systems that's not necessarily coherent with how we would do it in the US, for example, where mm-hmm. I, I feel like there would be like a centralized, you know, organization that's taking care of all of it. And that's rather paying companies to produce merchandise and then selling it and getting all of the profits itself. And that's not at all how it works uh, in Japan. So, yeah. So, so yeah, the, the, the whole uh, ordering online thing is really through that mall. And I don't think it's what they were referring to originally, but, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. In other news, um, I just noticed that there is no Dark Horse confirmation of Volume 42 yet, which is it's a little strange. Um, 41 came out December 21 in Japan. The dark horse edition was almost a year later in November 22. So if you guys in the States were waiting for a dark horse edition of volume 42, it's probably going to be summer 24 at Mm. the absolute earliest. So just, uh, keep that in mind. How sad to have to wait to read this masterpiece. It's a, it's rough (laughs) for us. You know, it's, I'm still, still bummed that they're not releasing Duranki. That's what led me down this path of yeah. where's Duranki? There's no news. Okay. What about volume 42 news? There's no news. Like, okay. <laughs> Nothing's happening. All right. I wonder how their licensing deal works. Where you like, do they have a license for Berserk specifically? And, you know, they would have to pay another one for Duranki as they're not willing to bother. And maybe they would have to pay another one for this new Berserk continuation thing and they're also like in the process of doing it or something. I, I wonder if question. that... Yeah, if that plays well, a role Well, they did do that. King what? of Wolves yeah. in Japan. Yeah, but these these are like old and cheap. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. These are probably some things they could get for really cheap. Whereas well, they, they, did, they did Giganto Machia. That's true. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, it's the same deal. I mean, whatever whatever they worked out behind the scenes for Gigantomachia would be applicable to Durunki. Mm. Yeah. So it's Maybe possible. it's just like, hey, we're Dark Horse. We released Berserk. We did a good job. Why don't you uh, <laughs> let us do the same for, uh, you know, this stuff, too? I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, my my deep-seated fear of Durunki is that, A... It's a it's a, a a series that's not self-contained. It was meant to be longer, and it is truncated. So it has that stigma kind of following it around. 
And two, I hope it's not the content itself that is repellent to them. Uh, you oh. know, probably my feeling is that it is, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, you know, like, obviously, when Mira passed, uh, they released that volume. And, like, that was a time, you know, to release it. Because people yep. were, like, grieving and fans wanted, you know, to read it and so on. So... That was the time, right? If there was any time to release it in the form it was, it was that time. And so I feel mm-hmm. like it's more of a case of Dark Horse not wanting to bother because I feel like it wouldn't appeal to their audience. Which is, I mean, it's not surprising coming from Dark Horse, honestly. Uh, it's a bummer. I feel, I feel like it's stupid, but they must think... Oh, the, the kind of people who buy Berserk, they want big burly men... <laughs> yeah, yeah. In shouting expletives and cutting down monsters and the story of Duranki, you know, it's, uh, it's too different, and that's not what they want. The protagonist's a girl, right? Says the publisher. The protagonist is a girl. Well, it's not. Right, maybe. It's not, <laughs> that's, it's not really a girl. <laughs> it's not a girl? Then what, what are you saying? Is, this, mean, the, is this the description on the back of the Dark Horse volume? <laughs> yeah. The protagonist is a girl. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it is. What, what I do find funny is that. If there was any time to, again, same thing, if there was any time to read Duranke at that time, like even now still, but, you know, even like I'd say a couple of years ago, uh, that would be it, right? When the whole thing about transgender people and, and so on was so big, like splattered over over <laughs> the media. And that's a story that's very relevant to that. So, yeah, to me, clearly the content is... Uh, is a reason probably Dakos didn't feel like it would, it would sell you know well enough or whatever. That could mm-hmm. that could be. I personally just think they're lagging like they usually do, and uh, they'll eventually put it out. But um, I can't remember the delay between Gigantomachia. It, it was a while. I think it was a good two years. I want to say. Oh yeah. wow! Really? Two years? Mm-hmm. It might have even been three because Gigantomachia came out. 2014 was the volume edition. I could look, but it would pause the show, and I'm not going to do that. But I want to say it was several years later. Well, maybe they'll just they'll just slow. Then I'm just shocked because, like the Glenas French publisher, they I mean they released Duranki within months, you know. So, but but I know the manga market is bigger in France than it is in the U.S. It was two years later. Hmm. Well, yeah. Who knows? And maybe Duranki. Yeah. Coming out this Christmas. Who knows? It should have been out this year, if that's the case, though, right? Duranki came out in 21. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's been two years. Well, we're like past I said, it. Maybe, maybe, maybe this Christmas. Who knows? Sure. So Santa will bring it, I'm sure. This ain't your granny's prehistorical civilization. Oh, my God. <laughs> not, <laughs> not prehistorical. Come on. Is it not prehistory? <laughs> like, what's what would. Is, is, Mesopot- is pre Mesopotamia? Is it post Mesopotamia? It is Mesopotamia, so. I okay, so it's right there, right? Yeah, there. <laughs> it is It is a dawn of history. It's okay. really at the frontier of mythology and, and real history. Well, I mean, it's a fictional thing, so, yeah. Well, you can just write to them about correcting the blurb, but the blurb's already been written. <laughs> uh, the so. blurb is going to be about a grandmother riding Holly. And, uh, <laughs> My hmm? favorite. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is this a girl or a boy? What the <laughs> fuck? 
Okay, okay. So I, I got the to rewind a bit. Gigantomachia was released in Japan July 29th, 2014 in Tonkaban mm-hmm. format. In North yeah. America, it was released in February 3rd, 2016. Mm-hmm. So that's a little shy of two years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is that is quite slow. Yeah, there's a lot of words. Each <laughs> yeah, word has a meaning in a different I language. I doubt. I doubt our friend uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson spent uh, two years working on that. He's got to work on his acting career first. You know, that, you know that. <laughs> yeah. he's a highly paid actor. He doesn't need this translation side gig anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm Rock the Cock Johnson. When I'm not acting, I'm studying Japanese, translating Berserk. You can find me at... Oh, sorry. Anyway. Uh, the last piece of news is that a Berserk episode 375 will be out on November 10th. Um, that is just for random information. That's 200 episodes after Femto was incarnated in Albion. Sorry, that's just a number that sticks with me, is 175. It's Marvel Comics thing, you know. Yeah. Something always has to happen on the 75th issue, so. Oh, really? Anyway, um, if it warrants discussion, we'll be back here to talk about it. If it's not, it's, we won't. We won't. Mm. So, mm. that's how it'll go. Maybe we'll be in that perspective on the Raid of the Seahorse. <laughs> the third perspective. <laughs> from Shirke's perspective. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh... Uh, with that passed, that's it for the news. Is there anything else you guys wanted to discuss before we opened it up for the reread? No. No. Okay. No. Well, then volume 31 will close out and I will start it up with episode 272, Coiled Up. Guts has come to his senses, though he is still in control of the armor's power. He says the sensation of the brand tells him that Daiba is either an apostle or someone connected with one which momentarily overwhelms Guts with the urge to kill, and for a moment the mask reverts to the beasts. Shirke brings Guts back, warning him that if that were to happen again, Casca could be endangered. Guts brings Serpico into the fight just as Daiba taunts them back in. Shirke says Guts must balance his anger to draw out the armor's power, but never yield everything over to it. Guts leaps into battle, slicing a water spout to get closer to Daiba. Serpico then flies up next to Daiba, but his slice is blocked by a water spout. Then Guts nearly lands a surprise attack on Daiba, but the old man enters a stream of the water spout at the last second to avoid the strike. But then, when he thought he was safe, a Sidro's uh, blast hits him, although that impact was lessened by the water. The stakes have been raised enough for Daiba to bring out his big snake, the Kundalini, a water elemental uh, with, uh, familiar with incredible power. It, it erupts from below the deck of the ship, and Shirke realizes that Daiba had been using the power of the Kundalini all along. She warns Guts to be careful, as this familiar is in a different league than any they've faced so far. Um, I didn't write down individual notes. Most of what I have to say is visual. Um, this is one of my favorite, and it's the start of a several uh, episodes of teamwork between these guys. Uh, really, it's the, in this one, it's the surprise from Isidro, because Serpico and Guts worked so well together to get close to Daiba. And, you know, each of them missed, but it was just enough to distract him so that Isidro could get in his surprise shot. I don't even think readers expected Isidro to join this fight in this way, right? For the for the little kid to be the one to score the first big hit. Mm-hmm. He oh, looks that was cool as cool. hell, too, after he gets yep. that hit and he's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great moment for him. 
Uh, and yeah, just Guts working with Serpico, I like that a lot in Enoch as well. In this way, it's a little bit more dynamic and a little bit more like they're truly working step by step together. So yeah. very, very cool. Um, the Kundalini being revealed, obviously, is another megaton moment because of how it comes out. I love how it comes from below the ship and it just kind of crashes through and it throws the cushions all over the place. And it's the kind of thing where if you're reading episode by episode, you might not even realize yet that there's a big crew there on the ship. Like, Of course it's there and you can kind of see it, but much more spectacular the way that this is shown. They are all over the place in the two page spread. Uh, and the, uh, it wraps itself around the ship. Uh, beautiful. The effect is also interesting. It's obviously some of that tone, uh, screen tone that Mira is doing uh, to give it the water effect. Um, it's similar to all the other effects we've seen in the series um, when it comes to magical creatures. Sorry, I'm, what I'm thinking of is the uh, Four um, Kings uh, has that same kind of hue to it. Mm. Uh, we will get into it a little bit next episode, but we see it here. The Kundalini has this like jet of water that it shoots out of its mouth. Um, I've always thought that was a really cool idea you know, of water focused into a thin, uh, you know, little thing can cut through stone. It's like the re- a reversal of what you think the properties of water are. It's like water beats stone, bitch. It's just like really surprising and cool whenever it's happens yeah. in series like this. Uh, I did not have any other notes. It's a pretty straightforward episode. Nothing really surprising other than when Guts kind of comes back for a moment as uh, Beast Mask for a second, which is almost, it's almost kind of comical because he's in <laughs> close close proximity to the girls. It's such a, like a worst case scenario kind of thing. Oh, yeah. You know, where you go from, I'm back, I'm normal, everything's cool. Oh, shit. You know, and then it he's able to come back to his senses. Hmm. I was going to mention that part, too, because I I liked how uh, it sort of brings back the story to why they're there and why they're trying to get out and uh, continue their journey, because it's all about healing Casca. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I like how Mira depicts the armor walking specifically, because God feels diabetes to an apostle, so he wants to kill him, and because he's got that urge and his mind wandering in that direction, the armor instantly starts uh, squeezing and hurting Farnes and Casca reflexively. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting way to give the reader a little ping back about the danger of the armor, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, other than that, like you mentioned, I think the, the action sequence we've got in Serpico is really superb, I think, and it goes on in uh, the rest of these, uh, you know, this volume. And we, we've talked uh, about it at length before, but I think it's really, one of the standout action sequences in the entire series. And, and of course, like you mentioned, I absolutely love that he gets, that gets fucked by Isidro in the end while he's blathering nonsense. It feels <laughs> like it feels so typical of an old man, uh, you know, and a young boy, you know, getting him in the back, which is also very Isidro like. So yeah, just, just love that part too. And, uh, and obviously, like you said, also the, the Kundalini using high pressure water jets. To attack is, uh, I think it's a pretty genius move and not something that's necessarily very intuitive. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not like if I, if I were to, to sync up a beast like that, uh, it definitely wouldn't be the first thing I think of. So it, I, I think it's really a, a genius move from Mira. 
Yeah, you look at it and you think tidal wave, right? Big yeah. tidal wave is going to come or something like that, where it's almost the opposite. It's like super focused, but extremely powerful. Yeah, even even the water spots, you know, that's a pretty yeah. creative idea in the first place. The way Daiba uses them, the fact he he's always chanting Om, you know, uh, and, and the whole thing around it is very well thought out. And it's like, oh, did he... How did he come up with that stuff? Because that's really great, you know, all of it. And it works so well together, too, and probably is something he pissed out, you know, uh, from from various separate inspirations. So, yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of an evil yoga master because it really speaks to my <laughs> experience with yoga. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> I actually did yoga long ago, and uh, it was a Japanese guy who was teaching it. That was interesting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, long, long time ago. Anyway, um, you ma- you said the Kundalini is a familiar, but it's not really a familiar, Walter. It's different from the familiars who are possessed by by the the fog and so on, whereas the Kundalini is more of a tamed, strong magic yeah, beast. Yeah, sure. Good call. Just wanted to point that out, yeah. Although, I have a note about this, because... Um, I think Darkos incorrectly refers to it as a as a familiar in the next episode. Yeah, I think that's what I why I'd written it down that way. Yeah, I can't remember. I actually made a note of it. I noticed. I noticed. Uh, I mean, I don't always check word by word or anything like that, and I'm no expert or anything. But uh, I feel like the translation in this volume is not very good. Like there's a a number of instances where I'm like, hmm, really. <laughs> so just something worth pointing out uh, from Dark Horse. Uh That's it for me. Anything else before we go to 273? Nope. All, All right. right. 273. Off to Crail. Here we go. Uh, so my episode 273 is Steaming Heat. Guts and the others look up at the massive form of the Kundalini as it coils itself around the mast of the now-broken warship. Daiba, who is perched atop its head, boasts that the surging wave has the power to crush stone when concentrated to a point that it can even cut diamonds. Guts narrowly dodges another water jet, which strikes down at the center of the ship's deck and easily cuts that part of the ship in half as well. Despite an attempt to slash at the Kundalini's body, no harm comes to the creature, as it's apparently made entirely of water. Shirky points out that the Kundalini is in the same class of creature as the Kelpie they encountered in Enoch but considerably more powerful. She adds that it could even be regarded as a god in polytheistic terms. Using thought transference, Shirke urges Serpico and Guts to see the physical body of the Kundalini swimming inside the chest of the hulking, watery creature. It appears to be nothing more than a normal snake. Shirke explains that it subdues undines through the power of enchantment to create water spouts and to build its giant form. If they can take out the real body of the Kundalini, the power will die with it. Guts launches himself at the creature to try and slash at the Kundalini's body, but just misses the swimming target and ends up falling into the swirling waters below, which are still under the Kundalini's control. While Daiba was distracted with Guts' attack, however, he looks off to the side to see Serpico standing on the mast, about to strike at him with the Sylph Sword but even Serpico isn't quite fast enough to thwart the magician who dunks himself into the Kundalini's head. The physical snake inside the bo- of its body wraps it, its, itself around him. 
Serpico jumps away before the creature can blow him away with another spout of water. Guts begins to sink below the waves, but quickly rights himself and uses the power of the armor to launch himself into a bit of de- ship debris. Shirke asks if he he's all right, but Guts says that for better or for worse, the armor deadens any pain he might have experienced in this fight. Using his own thought transference, Daiba communicates to Guts and the others that he is able to hold his breath inside of the Kundalini, thanks to the secrets of yoga. He bids his opponents to offer themselves willingly to the Kundalini as sacrifices. Meanwhile, Shirke and Guts try to formulate a plan. Shirke laments that she isn't able to borrow the power of a greater order of water spirit in order to wrest control from the Kundalini. In a city like Vertanis, access to spiritual beings such as of such power would be impossible. Guts brings up the Wheel of Fire, or the Blaze Rod, but Shirke doesn't think it would be much help against a seafaring opponent. Furthermore, she adds, she doesn't want to leave Guts to, the con- to be consumed by the power of the armor. Guts assures her that there is no need to leave. Clearly, he has an idea cooking. As Guts continues to dodge the water jets of the Kundalini, he explains his plan to Shirke outside of the reader's earshot. She worries that it's too rash, but in a typical Guts fashion, he's willing to put it all on the line to defeat their enemy. He assures Shirke that not only are they on the same team right now, they are one and the same. Shirke tightens her grip around Guts's neck in their astral forms and agrees. Serpico also confirms the plan, calling it an absurd idea, but one that's apparently fitting for their group. As Guts makes their final approach to Daiba, the magic user thinks they've resigned themselves to defeat. Instead, Shirke summons the Wheel of Fire once more, which she asks to dwell in the Dragon Slayer and lend its power to their attack. In a burst of flame, which not only engulfs the massive sword but its wielder as well, Guts attacks Daiba head-on, the heat of the fiery spirit turning the Kundalini's jet into harmless steam. Guts launches himself into the Kundalini's head in a final effort to dispatch the magic user, who is shaken by the sudden attack, and assure, but assures Guts that his death is imminent. <laughs> Instead, Guts says that he has a present from hell for him, and hits the Kundalini in one final forceful blow, turning the Kundalini to steam, and knocking Daiba out of his watery shield. As he falls, Serpico swoops in and beheads the Kundalini once and for all. Uh, so, th- as you can see, this was a very action-packed episode, but also one that had some uh, dialogue that I wanted to feature in here. Uh, one part that I thought was kind of a subtle highlight was how Guts explaining his plan to Shirke happens kind of quote-unquote off-camera. Uh, Mira... I think, as usual, does an expert job of balancing showing and telling. Uh, A poor storyteller might have tried to have Guts explain the plan before they execute the plan, which would have been redundant and boring and would have messed up the flow of the episode. Um, And I think Mira does a great job of kind of holding that information in for the big payoff at the end. So that was explosive. That's a good point. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely. They divert it. They divert the actual explanation until it's right there in the moment, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I don't think, I don't think it would have been that obvious for a storyteller of maybe not as great experience as Muir. I think he came to that conclusion naturally, probably. Hmm. Yeah. He does a classic thing where they tell the plan and then you just get Serpico's reaction to it. And they're and just like, this they- is too crazy. <laughs> Yeah, but let's do it. And, yeah. and then they implement it. We've got this thing like, we got this one shot. It's very, it feels like very, 
I don't know, classic heist movie or something like that. It, it's yeah. very, very, yeah. Got a little golden age of Hollywood feel to it. Mm. Um, so I love that. Uh, once again, I'm going to rant about Shirk It and Guts, or rather, I'm trying trying not to. Uh, I just love how their teamwork in this episode is showcased once again. Um, how it's kind of blossomed from mutual respect to friendship to this feeling of we're really in this together and uh, they really need each other to survive this encounter. And Shirke really, really cares about Guts not succumbing to the armor. Um, I read up on uh, Puella's translation and, and summary of this episode before to the summary today. So I also wanted to note that she said that uh, there are a couple of Buddhist phrases that are in this episode, one of which was Guts saying to Shirke, now we should share the fate of one another. And then I didn't realize this was a Buddhist phrase, but when Guts says, here, have a souvenir from hell, apparently that's a phrase from a Buddhist text. I was really surprised because it seemed like a really badass line. And um, as a final note, I love the part where the wheel of fire uh, makes an appearance in Guts's right eye. I thought that was mm-hmm. uh, really yeah. standout, like fan favorite <clears throat> moment. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is so so cool. <laughs> it also, I, I feel like almost unneeded. You know, it's almost fan service in a way. I but know. it is so <laughs> cool. cool. It is so cool. It's yeah. just, it's just so badass. And it's it, the even only time somebody, that happens, right? Where it got yeah, to yeah, right eye. yeah. Yeah, I feel you know. I feel it's a case of it's a will. Uh, you know, Guts is wearing the armor, so his right eye has nothing in it, and Miro's like. I got this opportunity in front of me, and I'm going to take it. <laughs> yep. And it is it is just great. I love it. But that's yeah. my notes, guys. What do you have to say? Well, among the, the general Indian stuff, Buddhistic, yoga, I mean, even Kundalini. Kundalini refers originally to a kind of life force that coils around the spine of people. So, uh, you know, when you do that kind of practice, you're supposed to. It's like opening your chakras, this kind of. I want to say it's kind of bullshit, but this kind of uh, spiritual uh, way of thinking. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of it that's based on that. And Mira, again, as he tends to do, uh, tended to do, he he grabbed that concept and he used it for the Kundalini as a snake with coil around something, uh, which is uh, in and of itself a pretty uh, inventive and creative way of uh, reusing the term. Other than that, I don't know. I mean, like you said, action-packed episode. I also want to bring to attention the fact it is absolutely gorgeous. Like, everything is so, so pretty uh, in this one. Even the, you know, the screen tone used to depict the fire effect on the Dragon Slayer. Uh, Even, you know, there's shots that are just basically background scenes of guts jumping around on water debris. But when you look at how it's depicted from the clouds to the water spouts to the sea to everything, it is so, so nicely drawn. So I feel like every page in this episode, even in this whole volume, is so filled with details and stuff. You could spend hours looking at it. So I think that's, that's something that was uh, mm. worth mentioning. And um, other than that, I also like... As I mentioned before, how relentless the battle is. Like, there's really no breather, no pause for either side. Uh, you know, even as Daiba glows, for example, when he gets guts underwater, uh, we cut to Serpico taking a chance to slice at him. 
So I like also that aspect that very, you know, it's just bam, 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 bam. It goes on and on and on and on. There's no respite. There's no big dramatic pause where the villain is like, ho, 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 you guys. It's like that. <laughs> Daiba starts doing it and he gets slashed and he has to move. So I like that Mira keeps it moving, basically. Right. It's also <clears throat> a nature of the teamwork is that Guts fell, but Serpico's there ready to strike. You know, yeah. That's what's so cool about it. Uh, and them working together in that way. Um, Daiba also keeps upping the ante this whole sequence, not just in this episode, but in the previous episode, just being able to bring out the Kundalini and thinking that's all he has to do. But in this episode, he does it again. He goes inside the Kundalini and says he can stay there for as long as is necessary, basically. So yeah, he keeps evolving what his capabilities are up with what the team is able to put out. So Yeah, it's like... Cool. For an old man, you'd think, you know, he'd get over quickly, but he's actually quite resourceful. And mm-hmm. that's, that's also what's interesting about it. He's even, he's even pretty cocky. It's like, oh, you youngins, you don't know who it's done and, and so on. And Guts, in his own way, he's also very reckless. And so it's basically telling him to, to, sh- to shut up. So <laughs> I like that. I mean, even the, the fact, the idea of summoning the will in the D- Dragon Slayer itself is a crazy gambit. But it's very fitting for Guts. He's exactly the kind of reckless and self-endangering yeah. thing he would do, you know, at any time. So, so it feels very fitting for the character. Um, that's also, I was going to say, that's what's so cool about that is that it's like the perfect, perfect in the whole series melding between Shirke and Guts because it's this elemental bond to the sword that the plan itself is a very reckless attack, this straight up guts. Yeah. But it's powered by Shirke and her, her, you know, relationship or is it her ability to do this? Right. So it's like the perfect attack for these characters in this moment, you know, it's couldn't be any more perfect. Yeah. It's also an interesting way to defeat, uh, that enemy where it's not like he doesn't Greg, You mentioned he strikes, at the Kundalini, but it's not even just that. He basically just jumps into it. Yeah. And the heat uh, basically vaporizes the water, which is, it's almost a way to sidestep the problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also like, well, at least I find it notable that Serpico kills off the Kundalini in the background. Yeah. Uh, we don't get a specific focus being put on it. Uh, and and I, I absolutely love that page uh, of... You know, you see guts falling, Serpico jumping from the background, and, and you don't even see the him slashing, basically. You just see the aftermath. And right. I just I just really love how it's done. But it's interesting that it's it's so low-key, basically. It's like a blink or you'll miss it type of moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, so pretty fun. much, yeah. Also, the, um, the plan itself, you know, it's something... It's a detail that escaped my attention before, is that the summoning of the wheel to inhabit guts wasn't just, you know, a cool idea that looked cool. <laughs> you know, it's, it was done of necessity because the wheel of fire would naturally be operating on solid ground, not in, in, in the water. Right. Yeah. And so guts used himself and the sword as the new ground for the spell. He's yeah. like, can't we just use that thing again? Was his basic premise. And Shirk <laughs> yeah. is like, no moron. We're at sea. <laughs> He's like, ah, make me the ground. Yeah. Set me on fire. Like, okay. Uh, sure. Yeah. Of course that's Guts's idea. Just set me on yeah. fire. It'll be great. I'll be the catalyst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's clever. But it's also resonant with the idea of self-sacrifice, you know, putting yourself in danger for one big shot. That's, as we said, that's very much 
in line with guts. Right. Yeah, I mean, the series is called Berserk. So. Mm-hmm. It's great. And um, yeah, otherwise. Oh, there's one line too from Guts. You know, I said it at the start of the, the this volume. You know, Guts says, We've got one chance, it's all or nothing. And this is like the culmination of all this teamwork is they've tried everything. There's only one way we can do this. It's all up to this. It's a very exciting moment. There's not many of this kind of moments in the series. There's a handful. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I, you always say that. You always say that. You're always like, I don't know. They're all kind of the, uh, because all one chance. If you, start, if you start thinking about it, it's, it's you know, it's a series of, I mean, not exactly like this, but. All work, all the characters working together like this. There's not many. There's really Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, sure. All of them, yeah. Not all of them, but yeah. That, that teamwork aspect, yes. My point is more of the, uh, this is a one shot or nothing. I mean, there's a lot of cases where Guts is really getting by the skin of his teeth, you know, so, yeah. Sure. Um, what, what I wanted to say was that, oh yeah, I wanted to talk about the, uh, the lines. Yeah. What I mentioned at some point, uh, Darkos has Shirke say, family isn't merely a simple proxy, which, is, I don't know. It feels completely meaningless to me. And what she's actually saying is that the Kundalini isn't a mere familiar, that it's much more powerful. Mm. So, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because it's such a, I don't know, it struck me as a bit of an odd formulation. Mm. Uh, and there's a number of things that, you know, I'd pick on, like I mentioned, translation-wise. But there's also the part at the end where they've got to say, sure, whatever, uh, here's a souvenir from hell, but actually he says something like that's more like don't be so cocky. Basically, mm-hmm. mm. he tells Daibai not to be so arrogant, because Daibai's continuously speaking as if he's uh, he's got the upper hand, and Guts is like, yeah, well, how do you like this? Basically, <laughs> and before they defeat him. So yeah, just just small details, but you know, not worthy to me. Mm. Uh, that's all I had as well. All right. So, uh, if we'd like to move on, the uh, the next episode is called Thunder Emperor. Right off the bat, the Kundalini is slain, and uh, Guts plummets into the ocean, which allows him to cool off after he and Shirk delivered their fiery attack. <clears throat> Daiba calls for the Garuda and is scooped up midair by his flying monster friend. Shirke cries in Guts' mind, telling him that she never, ever wants to do something so dangerous again, and she's worried about Guts' safety. Just then, Ganishka emerges from in his massive thundercloud form. Guts immediately recognizes him as an apostle. Uh, Ganishka punishes Daiba for his failure by blasting him, both him and his flying beast, with lightning. He then tells Guts that he's impressed with him, after all he's done to his forces. He mistakenly assumes that Guts is a follower of Griffith, the Falcon, and uh, he shoots Guts with uh, his electricity as well. But, just in the nick of time, Serpico uses his Sylph Sword to form a protective barrier. Ganishka continues using his lightning attacks, and Serpico and Guts do their best to dodge. Eventually, Guts gets hit, gets hit very hard, and Shirka gets knocked out of Guts' ego and back into her own body. The Berserker armor is deactivated as Guts does his best to recover. Ganishka then commends Guts for his surviving as lightning twice, 
But nonetheless, one more powerful lightning attack is unleashed upon Guts. Will he survive? Find out next time on... <laughs> All right, anyway. Um, so, you know, Guts, we were talking about Guts' recklessness a little bit, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, it affects those around him for better or for worse, and uh, I think that having Shirke care about him changes Guts just a little bit, bit by bit, episode by episode when they interact. Um, and I think in this point... In, in her life, Shirke needs Guts uh, as a, you know, kind of a big brother figure in his life. And I think that Guts wants to be there in that capacity as well. And uh, that requires being alive. So I can see why Shirke <laughs> got so upset. Um, Ganishka, to me, he might be my favorite apostle. Uh, don't get me wrong, he's a big bag of shit that does awful things, <laughs> but he's unique in his opposition to the God Hand, and his sheer powerful is that, his sheer power is absolutely terrifying. Um, so, one of the funniest things in this uh, episode is uh, a little bit of Mira humor when Daiba gets uh, his electric midair spanking from Ganishka. <laughs> And uh, to me, just like that, Daiba goes from being this menacing presence to kind of a goofy peon. <laughs> yeah. Back to being a lackey. Shut right, up. right, yeah. <laughs> Go home. Go home, Daiba. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we were talking about teamwork a moment ago. And, uh, yeah, Serpico and Guts, they continue to complement each other very well in this fight. Uh, mm. They're unique fighting forms of unique forms of strength are showcased fantastically goodness i'm glad these two were able to work things out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Finally, they really oh, they really walk quite together no, i'm just agreeing with you yeah for sure um and then you know finally i just like to say this uh poor guts but but i think he looks really really cool after he gets electrocuted his uh, crispy faced teeth gritting is a badass look that carries on to the next batch of episodes extra crispy and i'm all for he's, it he stays crispy for a while yeah too. it's that, it's ugh, looking like rough. really cool like the next bunch of episodes he's always just like mm-hmm. almost as if like he's just like you know stiff from being zapped so much. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Ganishka's appearance really ups the ante, and it's something, again, we've we've mentioned it before, but the the Daiba and Kundalini fight is crazy. Then it's over, but it still keeps going with something even bigger, and like you mentioned, when Ganishka just zaps Daiba and tells him basically to get fucked because he's... He needs to take care of things now that uh, he's he's bungled uh, the whole affair. You know, you know things are getting even more serious than they already were. So, and of course, we've got this insane uh, two-page spread when he first appears, and then you know just generally grayed out again all around. Yeah. So that really really sends a, a message. And um, I really, I mean, I love Ganishka's lightning. He's also definitely one of my favorite apostles. And I found it very ingenious to have the lightning send Shiruke back and deactivate the armor. Uh, it's something that feels instinctively right. Yeah. Like he gets hit by that, you know, electricity, bolt of electricity. You're like, hey, sure. 
makes sense. But if you start thinking about it, there's no like, there's no specific rules for this kind of stuff. There's no reason this should do it and something else shouldn't. But you know, it happens and it feels right. And so it was a, it was a choice. Electricity yeah. seems fitting for that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like an e- EMP is what happened. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, you know, instinctively it feels right. And so that's how it's done. And but I, I get the feeling that it's not something you know Mira didn't pre-plan it or anything like that. It just makes sense. So there it is, and so mm-hmm. it, it feels it makes perfect sense. But it also very smartly prepares uh, the story for what comes next. You know, we've got alone. He's got to deal with things differently and and so on. So just you know, I wanted to you know point that out because uh, it is very clever. It feels right. Uh, but I feel it's the kind of things that happened organically as Mira was drawing and not wasn't necessarily like pre-planned in advance or such a thing. I think it also makes him vulnerable for a moment right before that strike. Yeah. yeah. And it makes it feel a little bit more critical, you know, more like, oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, like before it happens. Vegeta yeah, for sure. Just punched a little too hard and his Super Saiyan hair goes away. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he he gets. Uh, it also makes him unable to move it, again, you know. And then we we get that coming in and so on. So all of that works together, and also it's a way to get him. Uh, I mean, he gets a hit pretty bad, right? <clears throat> Without being necessarily mm-hmm. bleeding all over, so it's a different kind of uh, uh, of attack. But uh, that that makes him weakened in general. It also shows how the fight uh, takes a toll on him. Uh, you mentioned the two-page spread which of Ganeshka, which is an all-timer for sure. Yeah. Uh, when you see uh, Garuda kind of interrupting the space between Ganeshka and then Serpico and Guts in the foreground. It's a cool just three-dimensionality to that scene. But some for some reason, the page before, this is more striking to me, which is when you first see Ganeshka wandering yeah. around the skyscrapers. Not, not, not skyscrapers. Yes, the tower. <laughs> yes, the towers. Thank you. Uh, because something about it, it just looks so creepy to me. Like, yeah. oh yeah, by the way, there's a giant walking around the city <laughs> and it's made of fog. It's just super cool looking. Yeah. Yeah. I also love that. I, so I, yeah, it's funny because I didn't want to mention it because I don't want to mention every page, but I also yeah, absolutely I love that panel. It's so great. It is so great. And I agree with you. The way it's in the, in the background, you know, in between mm-hmm. clouds and stuff and the guy sees that it is, it is so great. Yeah, look at those morons. <laughs> they're like, oh, shit. Well, I mean, they're like, they're, they're just random dudes shitting their pants, you know, which, I mean, makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's another line from Daiba that, you know, the, the only tiny little bit of motivation we get about him, he says he wishes to establish a, a magic empire. Right, yeah, um, yeah. Which is sort of a, a very tiny key to unlocking a little bit more about that character. We never get anything else than that. Um, So we kind of just have to embellish that one little line to kind of make more sense of him. But it's it's something. It's something. Yeah, I mean, it it is interesting. And you could say it's unneeded. So I I welcome that little crumb. And um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It shows his ambition, basically, and his motivation as a magic user. Like, why would he, you know, follow Ganishka and so on? I mean, other than the fact he's uh, the emperor and not following him means you get killed. But... Uh, yeah, why would he be on board with all that stuff? Not necessarily just because he likes evil and death and so on, but he's got this big ambition 
uh, as far as the magical realm is concerned. So that, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I wonder if it's and we don't know. It's complete supposition, but. I wonder if he truly believes that life would be better if people knew about and use magical creatures in the same way that he does. You know, he has a bond with these creatures. They work together mutually. I mean, Garuda didn't really get anything out of this deal. He just kind of got fried. But, yeah. you know, hypothetically, you could see that they would be working well together. And, and maybe he thinks a magic empire would be one where everyone understands. And, uh, I'm not sure. And, I'm not sure he's thinking about the well-being of everybody. I think he's more like... <laughs> he wants to be on top? I mean, yeah, he's... he's He's kind of a snake charmer, basically. Like, you take mm-hmm. a classic snake charmer imagery, and that's Daibai. I mean, down to the Kundalini, right? And so he's got all these creatures he's controlling and so on. That's his way of doing things. And I'm sure, yeah, maybe he wants to raise a you know, level of understanding of people and their spirituality and so on. But I do think he likes being the guy in charge. It's just hard for me to reckon that that he is basically Ganeshka's right hand with the kindly old man we meet in Falconia later. You know what I mean? And and he seems generally good natured after that, despite the fact that he's seen some he shit. Definitely, he definitely helped supply that Behirat machine thing. Like yeah. He definitely said, yeah, put the pipes here and then put the yeah. pregnant ladies inside. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe he well, mellowed I mean, out after that. Yeah, it's also a case where, I mean, he he. When you see him in Falconia, he's a. Uh, it's more like he's. Would say he acts like his situation requires it to. But even then, I don't feel like you know what I mean. He's still he's still die by basically. And when he's telling mm-hmm. the kids not to get to the uh, the place where he's keeping the Garudas, I feel like you know if they go there, he might still feed one of them to the yeah. to the beast. You know, they'd be like, hey, you know, I told them not to go as they did. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> So yeah, he's got that um, yeah that aspect to him. But uh, I, by the way, it is we. This is the episode where we first see the Garuda, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting one as well. Kind of wonder how that creature came to be, basically, because it's not uh, familiar like the others. Uh, not sure who is breeding them or whatever, but uh, interesting beast. And I, again, named after a classic uh, Hindu uh, being. I really don't want to know how it's bred. It looks like a weird oh, cross gosh. between a pterodactyl and a plucked chicken. Yeah, mm. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I I wouldn't think he would... I, I would not think this was like a Pishasha-like combination thing. To me, it's just a, nat- a magical creature. Like the Kundalini yeah. is a mm. magical creature. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, It's definitely not a familiar per se. It's uh, some beast he managed to tame, but mm-hmm. not sure where he found it. I mean, I guess it might be native to Kushan Lens. Wouldn't make sense. Oh, you know? yeah. It's a big X factor out there for sure. Yeah. I mean, they've got, you know, they've got trolls and so on in uh, the Midland area. So why not different things in uh, in Kushan Lens? Mm. I do have more to say about Ganeshka, but I feel like it's pointless to say it here. It makes more sense to say it in the next episode. So just just know that I also think Ganeshka is very cool, and it is, and it is in large part for his stance against Griffith and the God. Yeah, I mean uh, Ganeshka's here. Ganeshka's fucking cool. Everybody agrees. Yeah. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> uh, all right, then let's move on to the next one, which Go is Attack of the Demon Army. So everyone's holding their breaths as the smoke clears from the spot Ganishka hit, but Guts is fine. 
He propped up the Dragon Slayer at the last minute and used it to channel the lightning into the wooden hull. Uh, Ganishka is flaggasted and just cannot believe he's a mere human. He asks him whether he's one of the Falcon's lieutenants, which is outrageous to gods. Ganishka then notices a brand and starts understanding who he's dealing with, so he changes his approach. He asks Gats to join his army, arguing that the apostle who branded him must be among those serving the Falcon. Gats is surprised that an apostle would oppose a good hand, but declines, saying he doesn't care about a fight between monsters. He tells him off pretty rashly, and Ganishka is about to zap him to cinders when something catches his attention coming from the city. Gats and Shiroke feels it as well. We cut to a bunch of Daka getting trampled by Zod as a group of apostles, many of them flying, rush towards the Kushan Emperor. So there's a lot of things uh, happening in this episode. Um, like you mentioned just now, Walter, we see Ganishka and Guts having a sort of a mutual grudging appreciation for each other as enemies of the same enemy. They're not friends, but they can appreciate their, each uh, of their own uh, special bloodlust or, you know, opposition to, to the Falcon. So that, that, that's a great moment in the series for sure. Also find it a great detail that Ganeshka would naturally assume Gus was branded by an apostle and not by Femto, which is pretty crazy. Like it's it's it is it is insane that he survives the eclipse. And I just I just love that Ganeshka assumes it's an apostle that that branded him. I don't know. I just think it's so cool. Um, also, well, what do you mean? Like, of course it's an apostle. Are you saying and you're saying to the exclusion of Femto? I mean, you know. Yeah, like okay. Gus was not branded by an apostle. He was branded by Femto. But Ganishka mm-hmm. assumes he was branded by an apostle and that that apostle must be among those who serve Griffiths. Mm-hmm. You yeah, understand? Because there's no fucking way he could have possibly... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so the fact he doesn't even, like, it doesn't even cross his mind that it could be Griffiths himself who branded yeah. Guts, that, that's what's great to me. And the fact Mira goes on and actually has Ganeshka say it like that, that means he thought about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, when you come from the realism, like you already know Femto did it. So you could have Ganeshka say, well, join my army and we can boss oppose Griffiths. <laughs> That's how you would do it if you are an idiot. But, yeah. uh, you know, Mira goes a step further and is like, the one who branded you must be among those who serve the Falcon. And that, that tells you, like, if you think about it, that tells you a lot about the whole situation and how Ganeshka assumes things. So I just think that's pretty great. Um, yeah. Um, I also like the idea that Guts just basically at the beginning, uh, propped up the Dragon Slayer based on some kind of folk wisdom and just, Gets lucky like that. It's interesting. And he also seems to be oblivious to the fact iron conducts electricity specifically. He's just putting something up and getting <laughs> out of the way. So that was interesting to me. His buddy Ben Franklin told him <laughs> once and he remembered. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, great shot of Zod mangling the Daka. Again, the artwork in this episode is great. I mean, even the, the panel where you see Ganeshka standing above the Dragon Slayer with a the steam rising, everything is so cool. Uh, the dialogue, I, Walter, you want to talk about it, so I'll let you get to it. But the, the, the entire dialogue between Gus and Ganeshka is very memorable. It's really, like, series-defining to me. Uh, one part I like is what he mentions, the insects that swarm around the Falcon of Light 
also light of the falcon i think that that line is really great and it's a great analogy to compare apostles to insect in this case so love that stuff um i also love that guts needlessly she talks kanishka at the end <laughs> to the point where he gets in real trouble like he's about to get maybe actually murdered <laughs> and I think it really shows how hot blood it is when it comes to apostles. Yep. Like he cannot suffer these fuckers, and even you know, like there's no strategy to it. There's no like he knows he shouldn't do that. You know, he's not an idiot, but he cannot help it. And that is so, again, so true to this character. Is great. I love it. Well, would he have? Look at would, that. Would that, Ganishka that have just let guts go if he's like, no, no, thanks. I don't. I'm kind of I mean, doing my own have, thing. He, yeah, he might have tried, like, you can imagine in situation he's like, she could lie to him saying, sure, I'll join your army, just, you know, let me go. Or he'd be like, I'll think on it, I'll, I'll do my own thing, we can be mutually, like, you, you there's a, a number of ideas you could do, but you being do like, you know, fuck you, fuck you, yeah, I'll, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll get you fucked, you know, I'll never <laughs> be the guy like you. <laughs> Just, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, he, he goes beyond what is reasonable, basically. Yes. It's just like, you supreme ruler or whatever, go fuck yourself. <laughs> go bother someone else. You're just being a nuisance. I mean, you, are you, is this what you said to a guy who's touring the sky and shooting lightning bolts yeah. at you? I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> so he, he almost looks offended. Like Ganeshka's face. It's like, <laughs> yeah. he, it's like he it's like he mouthed off to his host at a party or something like that. He's like, Whoa, huh? how dare you? You know, it's pretty Yeah, funny. I mean it's also it's also like uh, God sees this kind of guy. Yep. Like Ganeshka is an emperor. He's not just an apostle. He's not just he's an emperor. He's like he rules an empire. He's not any guy. And Gus is speaking to him like Without any difference at all, and that is obvious. Of course, that is you know offensive and, and outrageous to someone like him. Like it's possible no one ever spoke to Ganeshka like that in his entire life, basically. So you know what I mean. I think the Dark Horse translation. I mean, I feel like it doesn't really quite capture it, too. Like, yeah, he says like gonna flash some lights. He says they're a public nuisance, Thunderman. I think he calls them like Old Man Thunder, is what sticks in my head. Oh. Yeah, about. He, yeah, he calls him again. Yeah, I agree. It's a, something I mentioned before, but yeah, the translation is a bit uh, clunky in this part. I agree. There's also um, when God says he's purebred human, like they have something mm-hmm. like that. It's that's not what he says. He uses a, a specific purebred. <laughs> Yeah, funny. I mean that's, that's a funny thing to say. Yeah, that that is, and and in Japanese he uses a word that means like uh, genuine, authentic, true. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a kind of thing you'd say uh, like a painting is authentic, for example. By... What is it? Honmono. Oh, good question. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm just kind of. I don't. Th- I don't think so. No. Okay. No, 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 no. He's a. Uh, I could. I could look it up. Uh, uh, it In fact, I matter. did look it up just uh, just earlier. But uh, no, it's not. It's not that. It's a pretty specific word. Got it. S- speaking of specific word, the uh, evil genius translation of oh, this scene. Is, I remember that. Yeah. Is uh, it's really something. It's such, such that I won't repeat it here. But yeah. it involves bundles of sticks. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. I completely yeah. forgot about that. Guts calls Ganishka, or, or he refers to. The, the apostles as like the F slur. Lots of bad yes. words. F S monsters. I don't want to think. Guts is just an asshole. He's not an ally at all. Yeah, yeah. Huh? It was a meme for well, such a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when 
you got unserious people doing unserious things, but uh, yeah. It takes me back to the the good old fan sub days when, uh, you know, you'd buy a a subtitle Dragon Ball Z movie and suddenly Vegeta is like, how dare you destroy my fucking house? (laughs) (laughs) It kind of adds something though, right? An extra dimension to it now. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, back to it. I, I can't believe that in one episode, Guts get, Guts dodges lightning. He has this proposal, a great pitch, honestly, from Ganeshka. He really put his his weight into this pitch. You know, it's pretty it's pretty good, but he gets rejected. And then Zod appears uh, all in the same episode. This pretty incredible uh, turn of events for this. Um this proposition is still thrilling to me to, to this day when Ganeshka basically says, join me. And he, he makes a good case for it. You know, it says the one that did this to you is basically someone I'm opposed. And if you join me, we can basically pull the ultimate prank on them. So join me. Come on. Why would you not? Uh, the ultimate prank. I think the, yeah, the we'll prank them, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Together. The ultimate prank. Um, he says... Um, Take your heart. Uh, he makes a couple assumptions about guts. Correct assumptions, you know. He says, "Take thy blood imbued with malevolence," which of course imp- implies hellfire. What is what guts has gone through and what it has t- twisted him into, right? He says, "Your your heart goes on beating for that purpose and that purpose alone," which is true. You know, of course, he's consumed by revenge. He's found another purpose for that, but yeah, he nailed it, right? It, to, it, to a large extent, he nailed it. Uh, it's just it wouldn't be very guts to agree to work with an apostle. And that's like the critical flaw in the plan here the, of Kanishka's proposal. It's just fundamentally flawed. Uh, and I do love that guts just relishes the rejection. You know, he really gets grits his teeth smiling while also full of anger as he turns him down. Um, it's a beautiful idea. It would be a beautiful thing. Uh, it just wouldn't be very berserk if this proposal was ever to continue. It also kind of calls back to, like, what is the purpose of Guts's journey at this point? And, like, what Skull Knight kind of brought up to him on the, you know, on the beach. It's like, are you going to go after Griffith or are you going to, you know, help Cass? Yeah, this would be an avenue. This would be an avenue for him to pursue his revenge. It's just, it doesn't seem very Guts-like to do it in this way, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it's a mentis character as not somebody... Like he's even he's got limits, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, in this case, you know the circumstances are very specific. He's got a group with him. He's got to take care of Casca and so on. But yeah, it shows. Like it's interesting that he gets a proposal at all. You know, it's again mm-hmm. one of the things where it's not necessary. Somebody might say, "Well, it just doesn't bring anything to the story." But actually, yeah, it shows Gus' character. It also shows Ganishka's character. Uh, both of them oppose the same enemy, but they are two different. They have different goals, and yeah, Guts wouldn't want to associate with an apostle, even in that kind of crazy, self-destructive, loathing with revenge as the only goal. Uh, even then, he still wouldn't do that. So that's interesting. While Ganeshka doesn't care. Using a, someone that's branded, fine. No problem. Mm-hmm. I love it. 
And I like scrupulous. That, yeah, and I like scrupulous. I like that you got comments on it too. It's like, oh, you know, you're like a dog who bites his own master, and mm-hmm. I like that. That's mm-hmm. that's funny. I can relate with that part. <laughs> yeah, much much like Ganishka is like, oh, I like your style. Basically, some kind of crazy, yeah. bloodied, mad, you know, mad guy. I, I like that shit. So this whole this whole dialogue is really great. You know, it's uh and. Uh, Again, I agree that uh, Dakar's translation doesn't necessarily do it justice, unfortunately. There's two things in this episode that I noticed on the reread that I'd never noticed before, or at least never quite relished before. And that is uh, when Ganishka first offers this proposal, would you become a follower of mine? Everyone's shocked for a moment. And then <clears throat> Daiba tries to interject saying, oh, it's very impulsive. And then he gets shocked right here. Yeah. But the shock itself is really funny. It's like Daiba's trying to offer some like legal advice, <laughs> like that it wouldn't be advisable to just imagine how he treats his lawyers yeah, the, but it looks really funny garuda's mouth's wide open yeah their relationship is really like, weird mm-hmm. it's like and uh, Daiba's arms are also outstretched in a really comical yeah. way yeah <laughs> pretty funny i wonder uh, if all other... funny got zapped you know in like in their daily life whoever he I does know, something really. ganishka is displeased with like you know, get fucked, zaps him. <laughs> he probably was a handsome dude before all that zapping. Yeah. Well, we actually we actually see him in the flashback, and he's like, years oh, ago, yeah. before Ganeshka was an apostle, he looks exactly the same. <laughs> this yeah. guy's like 400 years old. <laughs> the, um, the other thing I noticed was a, a jellyfish apostle, which I've never seen before on the two-page spread of them flying through the city. Oh, he's memorable. Right. Like a, yeah, jellyfish yeah, apostle. Yeah, it's pretty more off to the side. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like a dress. Like the the bulbous part is a dress, and someone above the dress. Yeah. It's whenever pretty, I yeah, see yeah, really idea. outstanding apostle uh, designs, I always wonder what you know the, their backstory might have been. Like, how do you become a jellyfish apostle? <laughs> yeah. Well, like Walter says, what what I like about this one specifically is that it's basically a woman. You can mm-hmm. see her, you know, what's a uh, upper half. Yeah. He's like human-like. She's got her hair flowing back behind her. And then the jellyfish part is like some kind of big dress, big flowing dress. So, is, yeah, uh, if anything, I'd say I, I regret we don't get to see her like in a full page, you know, because that, mm-hmm. that's a great design, basically. Mm-hmm. We also get the whale, that big-ass flying whale uh, mm-hmm. or slash whale slash crocodile thing. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I, I love all these guys. Honestly, the frying creatures... Even though many of them get fried, uh, they all all got pretty great designs. Uh, Mm -hmm. And on that page, there's also something uh, noticeable is we see a trio of gods who are just reacting as a a big well guy with his fat belly crushes their tower. And these are very obviously drawn by an assistant. Mm. Yeah, they do look very Munbira-like. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very easy to recognize and very notable. So I just wanted to point it out because... Yeah, that's the kind of things, uh, yeah, the assistants did. And it, it's rare, it's very rare for Mura to let an assistant uh, do, like, even the panel or something as noticeable in a panel. So I think mm-hmm. that was worth uh, pointing out. I don't know who did it at the time, but, uh, yeah, it shows. Well, I probably would have more to say if we stayed here longer, but I don't at the moment. So we may as well pass the torch. It's just such a momentous thing. Um, that I constantly think back to this Ganeshka and Guts yeah. may have partnered up, you know? I mean, yeah, it, it is very, 
it is very memorable. And uh, like I said, they were never going to be allies, but the, yeah. the fact that there's a proposition has actually come face to face and discuss it is just very interesting. And I feel like Mira might have uh, referenced it later on, much mm-hmm. later on, as a when they came to see the tree and so on. And it might have been interesting to see the uh, confrontation with Daiba post Ganishka and so on. So, mm. so much potential that this scene opened up this whole segment of the story that unfortunately we are not going to see being uh, addressed again or resolved in a satisfying way. But uh, yeah, that, that was great. Yep. On to the final episode of this uh, volume, Cloud Mass. The arrival of the apostles draws Ganishka's attention from killing Guts to incinerating apostles. But Guts and Ganishka both pause when they hear Zod's roar. Farnese recognizes it as well as Casca. But Zod's brave charge at Ganishka merely passes through the fog, and he's paid for it with lightning. The other apostles crowd around Ganishka, and for a moment it seems like they might be scattering his form. But nope, he's drawing them into swirling clouds and unleashes a huge lightning cascade throughout the whole area. Zod, in the attack, Zod falls from the sky to land directly on top of Guts, sending them both crashing into the sea. That is the episode. This is a extremely visual episode. There's a lot of just lovely things that happen, like Guts, sorry, Zod, <laughs> perching on top of a tower, looking menacingly, kind of cr- clutching it before he launches himself. It looks like super speed, right, at, uh, yeah. at Kanishka. Uh, and a very valiant effort, you know, he's a brave dude. He knows it's going to hurt, but you know what? He's going to go through him, and that's going to that's gonna finish the fight, he thinks. Uh, but it doesn't quite work out that way for him, unfortunately. Um, and Kanishka, in this moment, feels unstoppable, you know, because if a swarm of apostles can't take down a giant lightning cloud, what what could? You know, if Zod, Okay, Zod will do it then. Nope, Zod can't do it. Well... What could, you know, I think it has has a nice, satisfying puzzle nature to it about what's exactly going to happen next. Mm. Um, Visually, of course, also, it's just the cacophonous designs of the apostles all on the same page. Uh, Very many different kinds, insect-like, bird-like, as we discussed, whale-like and undersea-like creatures. Um, There's one that looks like Yoda, but has like a beard Uh, whenever there's like the two-page spread. Uh, lightning coming out of Ganishka's head on the left side. Very large ears. Uh, very strange designs. Some, <laughs> some that we've never seen before. Some we have seen before. Yeah, it looks more like an octopus to me, but uh, interesting. Mm. Uh, yeah, with the ears, mm. Yoda ears. <laughs> Yoda ears, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we actually, uh, an, if, we, if you look at the, the two page spread before, you see a close up of it where it's very alien like, basically. Hmm. I'm doing my best, man. There's a lot of weird ones on that page. It's, it's on the one at the left, really the leftmost. Uh, oh, yeah, that yeah. is very... you got like a cloaca thing going on there, too. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Lovely. Yeah. Maybe using it as a kind of uh, propulsor, you know, nothing like a oh, uh, whole yeah. Rosin did. And then we actually see the same one. This is the Yoda Apostle uh, episode. Uh, we see it burning uh, whenever Serpico calls out to Guts. Uh, a couple pages later. Yeah. The one that falls at the feet of everybody. I thought this was a fascinating um, dimensionality to this scene, which is Isidro and Serpico have had one run-in with Apostles. But Apostles, as we've discussed a number of times, Guts 
has a much closer connection with them than his group. And his group doesn't really know much about them, you know? So when they arrive on a scene like this, they must all be like, what the hell? Monsters? What? You know? Uh, it's just a weird thing where this part of Gut's past uh, comes crashing into his uh, the group that's with him. And literally, one comes falling from the sky, lands right next to them, and like kind of a goofy alligator looking thing that's right next to them uh, as it's roasting. So yeah, I like that idea of the guts coming into close proximity with apostles like this and trying to wonder what in the world is this? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, of course, Ganeshka's attack. Uh, it looks like, as I said, it looks like they've got it. They're going to scatter his form. And how do you kill a cloud? You just scatter it to pieces. Big yeah. Deal. But it, what actually happens is that Ganeshka just kind of spreads himself out, but he's still in control of the clouds, and now he looks like a megaton over Vertanis. Yeah. Um, mushroom cloud emperor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like, that they, I like that they had that plan, and that must have been Zod, uh, where they disperse the cloud, but yeah, he reforms it around them. And then that mega blast that even it's so strong that even the dragon slayer gets lit by it. Mm-hmm, yeah, uh, it's just it's just so cool, so so cool. It's an incredible shot. Both the two page spread of the Ganeshka eyes as he swirls around, but also that one of guts in the foreground, silhouetted during the explosion on the following page, is very cool. Yeah, uh, and then Zod comes crashing down, which makes you think, what? <laughs> What are these two going to do together? Which, of course, <laughs> opens up a whole new uh, sequence in the next volume. Yeah, that's it. That's all I had. It's a great episode. Yeah. Look forward for to real. the coolest shit ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that uh, that sequence of Zod and Ganeshka is awesome. You know, the fact, you know, Zod is so persistent and he's he's got that endurance where he gets zapped again and again and he just keeps going. Uh, and even, in fact, even after he, you know, gets that mega blast and falls into water, he gets right back at it, basically. And that's what we see in the next one. So that, that is, that shows also the limit and the difference between Guts and, you know, somebody like Zod, basically. I'm not used to seeing Zod get his ass kicked, kind of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that also shows us the power of Ganesha. Yeah, yeah. That uh, even a guy like Zod is basically powerless and gets his ass handed to him. There's this one panel where Zod looks like he's actually dodging lightning. It's just a small little panel. It's a very cool panel. Uh, I don't know how to describe it to you, but um, it's right. It's the page after where his teeth uh, are getting zapped, right? You see the, the zap between his teeth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the following page... Uh, he goes through Kanishka, and Kanishka turns and blasts him. But Zod looks like he's actually dodging all the little bolts before he goes through again. It's pretty cool. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think the idea is that he's. Uh, he's trying to fly through, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, other than that, uh, the the artwork of all the apostles that you mentioned is great. Uh, I do like that uh, we see Farnese recognizing Zod. I think mm-hmm. that's a nice callback, and and even Casca's got that look on her face where it's like, hmm, what? Have I seen some of this guy before? Yeah, it so, rings a bell, huh? Yeah, I like that. I like that one when he's on top of the tower. Uh, I also like his classic uh, lion roar, uh, which attracts the attention of Boskus and Ganishka. Classic Zod stuff. Uh, and there was one thing I wanted to mention is um, when. They are attacking. Kanishka tells them in Japanese. He says "zugatakai," which means your literally it means your head is high, mm. 
It just mm. means you're arrogant. It's a, it's a kind of a classic uh, Japanese thing, you know, where usually when they say that, then they cut off your head, you know, then it's not so mm. high. <laughs> and I, the reason I, I want to point it out is because it's the exact same thing uh, Puck tells Magnifico when they're on the seahorse and uh, Magnifico uh, offers him to, to put him on Elthorn's throne. Uh, and then Puck appears as a king and, you know, sit on his head like that. Uh, it's, ex- it's the same line, and uh, I don't know. I found that was an interesting uh, coincidence where you see Ganishka saying it as an actual emperor, uh, seriously to the apostle and that and so on as he zaps them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a few volumes later, Puck says it as a as a king, just telling Magnifico to basically bow before him. <laughs> so that was cute. Yeah. The, there's, like, there's one or two pages where once Guts realizes Zod's here, you know, his attention is caught. And the first time that Zod really gets fried, there's this panel of like concern from, from Guts, which is, which is interesting to think about, right? He doesn't want to see his, his war buddy. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, a like concern. <laughs> I think it's more that he's surprised that even Zod is getting fucked basically. Oh yeah. It's hard. It's hard to say, but yeah, he's, he's surprised. That's for sure. That's, that's definitely. Yeah. Happening. I, I, I don't know. I don't think he's crying. He's shedding tears in his heart for Zod. <laughs> mm. It looks, it looks sad to me, but that's just maybe me reading <laughs> okay. into it. <laughs> might be, might be your in- imagination. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, when Kanishka uses his uh, zapping, it always emanates from his forehead, which I think is kind of a tell, you know, yeah. for what happens later. Yeah. It's just cool that Mira's, you know, of course he is internally consistent with the rules of how this thing would work. Yeah, I agree. There, there was one or two other things, but I can't recall them at the top of my head. But yeah, it is mostly a visual spectacle of apostles getting roasted. Oh, I know what it was. If you track Guts, what Guts is seeing from his perspective, you know, imagining how this might look, and, and it kind of maybe makes you think about what Mira, the kind of scene Mira wanted to do. It's like someone's watching dogfights happen in the sky, right? You're seeing this thing passed through overhead over and over and over trying to attack something. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like an aerial battle. It's an, it's, it is aerial combat like yeah. planes. Right. So it's just, but it's a, obviously it's a fantasy story. How do you yeah. do that? Well, here's how you do it. I don't know if it's like planes, but yeah, it's a, it is aerial combat. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, Zod's kind of acting like a dogfight plane. He's going back and forth. Mm-hmm. So Shooting swimming. his machine guns. <laughs> and then turning around. Yeah. Basically it's, it's one salvo. His I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. What's sure is, it is very cool visually. Like the choreography of it is great. Even when you see him, like almost falling, then you know, uh, getting just over the water, turning back and flying back in. That stuff is great. I mean, if you if you start looking at the angles, there's mm-hmm. so many great angles. There's one where he's. Uh, you're, you're at Zod's back as he turns and sees uh, basically Ganeshka's uh, body reforming immediately. Mm-hmm. Then you see another shot from behind Diabaz. He's looking at them from afar. All this stuff is really great. Like, Mira always want push the envelope as far as angles and, and way to angle shots uh, went. And uh, I think this one is uh, really great. You've got some pages, like I, I said, the one where he's uh, taking a the U-turn or just over the water, you look at the angles, it's crazy. It's like one, two, three, like never the same, all different directions, all very dynamic, uh, really nicely done. 
Mm-hmm. There's also this great line from Ganeshka, right as he forms the cloud mass, such as struggle all you like, you're still in the palm of my hand. It's just a nice, nice little moment of authority before he roasts them. <laughs> yeah, that evokes a uh, journey to the West. When uh, mm. I wasn't aware. Yeah. Well, that's if you if you read it, you'll you'll understand. But basically, uh, the the monkey is trying to escape the monk, but he's always in the palm of his hand. That's uh, mm. kind of a part of the story. Anyway, um, there's a, yeah, there's also one thing I noticed that odd, a little of a nitpick. But when that's on the tower, uh, you look at Darkos, They have the the guards say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as a average reader might guess, they are scared. So in Japanese, more like, uh-huh. and I have no idea why Takos decided to do it like that. Well, it's because it, that Zod's got fanboys; they follow him around like Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's so that's so confusing. Uh, so I, yeah, I read I it. The, I read it as like, yeah. Yeah, you know, like as a kind of a yeah. I mean, I mean, that's probably what they intended to do. But like when you read English, you right. see it like that. Yeah. As the first things that came well, to mind was like, is he saying yeah? At the same time, when I when I look for the word yeah, I I look for an H at the end. So I oh yeah, I I, I my brain kind of put together the shriek. So maybe that's well, maybe that's what they were without the H though. It's it's yay. Well, yeah, is. yeah, that's so, a good point. It's like. Old British men uh, voting in the in the House of Lords. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yay! <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yay, though I live in the Tower of Zod. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's uh, something. It's more like yeah, uh, yeah. in the original. So yeah, I'm not sure why they went for that. It is cool when he propels himself from that tower. Yeah, it is. It is it's so just, cool. He leaves it the tower part like in pieces because he just like, yeah kicked off of it like a springboard <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, I mean yeah, it shows his power, you know. Yeah. Oh, we need more Zod in the series. There's really not enough, yeah. you know. There's uh, just not enough. I think there's, I think there's actually just enough because if there's too much of him, it becomes less cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like hear for you. the character, for maximum coolness, it needs to be very like you know from time to time. Same with the Skull Knight. You can't have the Skull Knight too often, and he can't fight too often because if he does, then it becomes trivialized. But when yeah. is there? just speaking it's already like it's a moment and then when he's actually doing something like it's even more of a moment that's why when you see like 34 and you've got him on top of uh, Ganishka he slashes at Femto then Femto blocks it it's like you know it's a crazy rare thing with another crazy rare thing with a never seen before thing and another never seen then it becomes fucking insane yeah but if you had him like pulling his sword every every volume it would be hey you know just okay mm-hmm. and we did just see him four episode four volumes previous at um flores but not quite so spectacular he fashion was in the background he was yeah but i think yeah. that was awesome too yeah it's mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah. I'll fight Skull Knight, and now we can focus on Guts. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that, uh, um, you know, Less spacing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, and I mean, w- oh, sorry, go What on. we see. No, sorry, I was just going to say what we see in this one and the next episode is also very, very memorable. Like, mm-hmm. it's unlike anything and before and since, basically, as far as Guts and uh, teaming up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I really like the next episode in particular. Mm-hmm. But that's for another. That's for next month. 
for volume 32's reread. Anything else before we close out this one? No. Good stuff. It's like, as usual, uh, it's it's a lot of fun rereading these episodes and, and doing this podcast because I think that it's... Uh, a really, a really good thing to to remember Mira's talent and um, just I don't know. It kind of it's it, it makes me feel alive reading this stuff and uh, yeah, reading great art. Mm. It's great. Yeah, never get tired of reading this. Yeah, I hope we I hope That's- we do this for the rest of our lives. We'll do a second reread <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I mean, we we probably need to do a second reread because those first few volume rereads are a different format than how we do them here. And oh, there we go. We don't quite. Then we, we don't got get no into choice. Details yeah. As much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do I want to do another reread? No. Do we? Should we? Probably. So that's that's how it is. But that's it. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back in another month for volume thirty-two. Uh, you might hear from us sooner than that. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. See you later, alligator. (laughs) If you have not checked out our Patreon, you can over at patreon.com slash sknet. Puella has been translating uh, some unseen things from Mira, and Azale regularly posts updates from Rare Berserk merchandise, so check those out. You also will get access to our many podcasts. I can't remember how many we've had. 20-something episodes, mini podcasts. Wow, 30 episodes, 30 mini podcasts. Those come out uh, once per month. Uh, they're shorter versions of this, just me and Azil talking about uh, Berserk and related things and our following of Berserk as fans. So check that out. It's at patreon.com slash sknet. You can get um, Azil's updates. I think they're on the smaller end of that. Well, what is it? What's the, che- what's the cheapest you can spend? Is it a dollar? Uh, $3. $3 for the minimum, and it's $5 for mini pods. And up to, I think it's $10 a month or more. And then you get access to regular translations from Puella. Mm. So check that out if you have not had a chance to yet. We would appreciate it. All the proceeds for that go towards uh, our translator, Puella. They do not go towards my pocket. They do not go towards this podcast. It's just to support Puella and her efforts to translate Berserk. Fantastic. But that's There's it. a lot of cool stuff Thanks. on the Patreon just to put in my two cents. Please check it out. Support the stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that's it. Talk to you guys next time. <laughs>